Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One day I got up and looked in the mirror and I did not like what I saw. I mean, I was just a walking coffin. Ken Shamrock! Angle lock and Shamrock. Shamrock does it. Hit Shamrock. Death by slot. From Hart back to the camp. If there's one person you don't want to mess with, it's Ken Shamrock. There we go. Angle Shamrock. Ken Shamrock, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Did you check out the uh, the Conor McGregor fight, didn't you? I've seen you tweeting about it. What did you make of it? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, you don't like to see that kind of finish. Um, I think a lot of people <clears throat> that don't like Conor um, kind of celebrated that. I was a little bit disappointed. Um, obviously, I think karma uh, <laughs> is something that you can definitely talk about uh you know but <clears throat> i think as a fan when we watch um athletes uh prepare for something there's a lot of emotion a lot of hard training um a lot of pain uh through training um that you go through to prepare for something like this everybody's different uh different characters different personalities um everybody responds differently and I think in this case, you know, Connor put a lot into this thing. Um, Connor has a, a, a personality that's volatile. Um, <clears throat> he's outspoken. Uh, he has no filter. He says what comes to his mind, even though when he says things, it's still pretty well thought out on, on uh, what he's saying and why he's saying it. <clears throat> but to me, it's a little bit too much in my opinion, but in the world that we live in and with the things that we're allowed to have happen in our society, Conor McGregor is just a product of that. I mean, we're allowing people to walk up and knock girls down because <clears throat> something happened a thousand years ago or, <clears throat> you know, uh, people get beat up uh, because they believe one thing or another riots and, and burning cars. And, and we're saying that, Oh, uh, to fund the police and, and, and don't go do one all this. But then you get Conor McGregor that stands up and starts doing similar things to what the world is doing. And we all come apart. Uh, Whoa, you can't do that. That's out of bounds. I think our society is breeding these kind of individuals and uh, people better wake up because this is the product of the environment we're creating. 
uh, not just for athletes, but for young children growing up. This is a product that we're going to see more of um, because now everything's accepted. So uh, when you look at it from that perspective, in a, in a world worldly basis, not just an individual, <clears throat> I think you'll see, but that's basically what we're basically saying is okay. Now there's no boundaries anymore. You look at Jake Paul, the Paul brothers, um, they've made millions and millions of dollars of insulting people and saying crude things to people. I got no problem with it. I never had a problem with people building and selling a fight. Um, I've had some boundaries and stuff that I've kind of kept, but if I was in today's world and fighting under these conditions, I'm not sure that I wouldn't step over the line a few times because why not? It seems to get everybody talking. For as long as it draws people in and makes money, you're going to see people doing that sort of thing. I think that with with Conor McGregor, a lot of people have have connected him with with a career very much like your own uh, to to transcend from MMA into professional wrestling. Do you see Conor McGregor doing that? Um, you know, the one thing about pro wrestling that people look at from 3,000, 30,000 feet up, uh, it, it's not what you think it is. It's not something that anybody can just walk in and do. Um, there's a lot to it. So, yes, I think Conor McGregor's got a tremendous character and personality. He'd be a great heel or babyface in today's world. Like you could be both. Um, but I think he would be tremendous. The, the, the question is, can he do it? Before, let's wind back at the clock just a little bit because I'm intrigued to know because um, am I right in thinking that you turned down like the, the NFL to do more football stuff to pursue wrestling? If so, what was the deciding factor that made you go this way rather than this way? Well, through high school, uh, I had a scholarship, a couple scholarships to go play ball, even in wrestling, and I broke my neck in wrestling uh, during the season. Um, so I had a long road to come back uh, because I was told that, you know, my contact uh, days were over. Like I would, I was never going to play uh, contact sports again. And I, I, like I said, I, that was, you know, that's kind of what my DNA was. That's how I was successful at everything I was doing it's because sports was always the gift uh, if I did well. And so when that was going to be taken away, uh, it was a long road to get back to it. Um, you know, a few years after that, I went and played junior college. Which nobody would touch me. Um, so I went and played junior college ball. Um, team captain, led the team in tackles. I mean, I had a great, great couple years. Uh, but I couldn't get into a university. Um, uh, you know, broken neck and all that. So it was just real tough for me to have anybody take a chance on me. I could walk on into a junior college and going into these bigger universities, it was a little bit more difficult to, with a broken, with a, a history of a broken neck. Uh, so it was, it was a little bit tough uh, for that. And so I came to a crossroads where I was doing wrestling. I was, had an opportunity to go over to Japan. And at the same time, I could either go try out for the chargers because I got a letter to go try out. Um, and this is a few years after high school, I broke my neck, went to junior college and, and then I started wrestling for a little bit. And then I was thinking about, you know, wanting to play uh, pro ball and I got, finally got a letter, but that was right around the time that I was starting to make my move, uh, into the Japanese circuit. And so I decided at that time 
that I would stick with the the wrestling and also the uh, fighting because I was I believe it was UWF at the time uh, where I was over in Japan and I was just starting over there and I loved it uh, and it was around the same time I got the the letter to to try out uh, for the team didn't mean I was going to make the team but but I, at least I had the shot to go try out and I thought I was good enough fast enough big enough to be able to play ball uh, but. Um, I felt like the direction that I started to go after breaking my neck, which was an individual sport, that it was all relying on me and I didn't have to rely on anything else for me to be able to do what I wanted to do. I step in there. No one's going to tell me, well, you're second string or third string. If I get into that, that ring, I make the decision whether I'm first string or second string. So I went that direction instead of playing uh, pro ball. Uh, like I said, I had the option, uh, but I went with the individual sport. But to go from like as you the the, the neck break you suffered, as you were told by people, that's the end. You're done with contact yeah. sports. But you, but you know, undeniable Ken Shamrock. You're like, no, I'm gonna see where this goes. Was there like moments of if for yourself like trepidation when you were getting back out there and? maybe you got hit in a certain way. You felt the neck twinge was a little moments of doubt or was it just a hundred percent? This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And I think that's the strength uh, of my, of my abilities uh, is that when I, when I, when I set my mind to do something, I don't think of anything else. And I mean, I was playing college ball two years after I broke my neck playing a defensive end and I never one time during that whole process ever thought about my neck never ever thought about it and then I went through years of fighting with people not even knowing I broke my neck I would do interviews and they would ask me this and ask me that and never mentioned it because I forgot about it I literally forgot I broke my neck um, because for me it's like I focus so much on what I have to do rather than the things that have already happened. I focus on the things that I can make happen. Vince Torelli, the sensational youngster Vince Torelli, along with his manager and confidant Paul Jones, taking on Trent Knight in this opening match. And I tell you what, he has been impressive, Big John. Really impressive. And you notice from the last few weeks we saw him, he's gotten rid of those decorations. I've heard Paul Jones tell him, hey, man, you go, you're the wrestler out there. You don't need decorations. Just show your stuff. That's all the fans want to see. Where did Vince Torelli come from? Yeah, that was uh, they when I was in uh, South Atlantic Pro Wrestling. Um, they, uh, for whatever reason in wrestling, uh, they, you didn't want to use your real name. Uh, you had to have a character name. And so uh, I I'm not sure who it was, whether it was uh, Nelson or uh, yeah, I'm not sure who it was, but somebody came up with the name. They wanted me to, they said I looked Italian um, and I'm Irish, um, but they said I looked Italian. They wanted to come up with an Italian name. And so somebody came up with the name Vince Torelli uh, and uh, the actual Mr. Wrestling himself uh, actually gave me a plaque that uh, awarded me the name Mr. Wrestling, Vince Torelli. 
So that was pretty cool too, because with my style, I was always, uh, even before submissions, I was more of a technical wrestler. And uh, so uh, I got awarded that, but the Vince Torelli name came from somebody, one of the promoters, whether it was Nelson or, or, or um, yeah, is it George Scott or George Paul or, I can't remember, but somebody, one of the promoters came up with it because they thought I looked Italian. They wanted to go with an Italian name. And so they came up with the thing, Vince Torelli. And I liked it. I thought, oh, yeah, it's a pretty cool name. And so that's kind of where the Vince Torelli character came from, was from another promoter. Did you find yourself, because at that time, kind of characters in wrestling was that was how it was done. It was larger than life comic book people. Did you find yourself leaning into sort of like an Italian style persona or was it just a name? Yeah, I, I don't think I had to do anything because my character, my personality, uh, all kind of fit into the Italian thing. Because um, even Irish, you know, when you, you think about Irish, it's it, the characters are pretty similar. Um, you know, tough guys, uh, fighters, um, hot-headed. Um, so it, it just kind of fit. I mean, I have an accent anyways, a Southern accent. Because uh, I, I was I was born in Georgia, and uh, so I've never lost the accent. Especially as I start to really get into um, heat of things, uh, it really starts to come out. And so it just kind of fit really, and that's why they came up with the name because I was around them for a while, and they just felt like, wow, this dude, he go, he'd be really good as an Italian. So. Uh, that's where they came up with in my character and, and my style everything just fit right in with it can one punch shamrock against hoist Gracie, whose legend continues to grow in the martial arts world the last 18 months he has become the most well-known martial artist on the planet fourth degree black belt a gracie jiu-jitsu and here comes ken shamrock into the octagon. You weren't entirely sold on the UFC thing at first, were you? No. No, I was fighting over Japan. I was a champion. Um, and this thing came up and it was like, you know, because I was I was schooled in pro wrestling. Uh, you know, I came from pro wrestling. Uh, and so when I heard there's no old barred, anything goes, it's like, okay, that's pro wrestling, right? Because it's no such thing as that being real. So when that came up, it was like, no. Nah. And so then I made a call and tried to hunt it down because he kept telling me, no, this is the real thing. And I was like, all right, we check it out. And so I made some calls and <clears throat> came to find out it was real. Um, but I didn't know it until like, I don't know, the first fight of the UFC, <laughs> which Gerard Gardot kicking a sumo in the face. That's when I think the world woke up and said, <laughs> This is like real. If it was me or Hoist Gracie in that first fight, people would have walked out of the arena. There's no way they would have believed what we were doing was real. But a kick to the face was pretty obvious that this, no, this was real. His tooth come flying out as well. Was it in that one where his tooth came flying out? Yeah, he kicked him in the face. And I, I swear, <laughs> it felt like the whole place went silent. Like, did that just happen? Like, it was hard to digest this. Like, with the world that we lived in back then, it was hard to digest that we literally just saw a guy on pay-per-view TV walk up and kick a guy, a defenseless guy on his hands and knees in the face. 
and it was okay. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was a shocker, but I think that it couldn't have been any more better to have those two guys in that particular fight to be able to really help people understand what it is they were going to be seeing. What I think has been amazing about the UFC is on many occasions, they, they seem to have done wrestling storylines better than actual wrestling uh, in, in, a, in a very real fighting environment. Um, like the stuff with you and you and Gracie is legendary. And uh, did you realize as you guys were getting into it, as you know, as, as press conferences were getting more heated, as the match was almost canceled on one occasion, did you realize that you were getting the world talking the way that you were? Um, I, I don't think so. I think kind of in our heads, we're more focused on what we're doing. You know, my character, luckily, because I know that <clears throat> Campbell McLaren and, and Bob Meyerowitz and many other people um, had mentioned that without Ken Shamrock, we may not be where we're at today with the UFC because of the way that I would build the fights, the way that I would go after my opponent and the more, just like with the Conor McGregor thing, a little bit less than that, but, but kind of the same thing, whereas I'm not a quiet guy and you're going to watch my fight because I'm going to make enough noise for everybody to look and say what's going on there. Um, and that was just the way I was. And, and especially in those beginning days where <clears throat> a lot of guys were, you know, trying to even figure out what was going on. I was screaming and yelling and telling people I'm the best in the world. I'm going to beat the snot out of you. And, uh, and I'm not going to feel bad about it. And, uh, and I think that caught a lot of people's eyes and it, it helped me really elevate to the level uh, that I was because of the character that I brought into that fight with. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, allow me to introduce the special guest referee for the following match from the ultimate fighting world, Ken Shamrock. Shamrock obviously in great condition, and this man can handle himself, no doubt about that. He has proven to be the very best at one time or another, and maybe still is, in the ultimate fighting world. Can he handle the hitman Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin? Well, it's going to be a huge challenge, there's no doubt about that. Ken Shamrock, as ABC Television said, are the most dangerous man in the world. After you'd established yourself in, in UFC, when did conversations start with the WWF? Yeah, I think it was more when we got into a, a situation where Bob Meyerowitz was struggling <clears throat> being able to financially keep things floating because, you know, they were constantly in and out of court. Every place we went, it was a battle to put the show on. Um, there was all these people gathering around, uh, politicians trying to get their name in the paper. And so they would, they would come up with these... Uh, these signs are saying no violence, uh, you're killers, no human cockfighting. And they would start making a political issue out of it so that politicians can start getting their names in there. And so anytime that we went to a, to a state, um, you knew there was going to be a politician waiting to be able to protest this event because it was getting big news. And so Bob was spending a lot of money on trying to defend every single place he went to. And so it was hard to pay the fighters the money they needed to keep fighting because he's kept constantly fighting this battle of being able to put a show on, even though the state said they could put it on. The commission approved it. But then you had these politicians and these people come in and start saying, we don't want that fighting here. 
uh, and it would cause a problem and they would take it to court. And so that's what we were doing in every single state we fought in. There was a legal battle before every single event. And so therefore, Bob wasn't able to pay uh, what he needed to pay to be able to help the guys keep, especially me, be able to keep my my family taken care of. And so once it got to that point, I had a discussion and, and, and Bob Myers and myself uh, came to an agreement that I just had to move on because I couldn't support my family. And the fighters, I had a fighter's house, I had gyms, had all this stuff going on and I couldn't support them. And so I sacrificed my opportunity to be able to stay in there and fight uh, so that I could support my family and support the fighters that were still in the lion's den and were still fighting over in Japan and here in the U.S., I took the back seat so that they continue to follow their careers. They appreciated that because obviously you ended up going back there. But did you have any regrets at that point of, of, of stepping away? Did you? Of course I did. You know, I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, I was the best in the world. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I had, I knew I had a few more good years of, of fighting for the title. Um, and, uh, and then being able to step away and just focus on training people. I thought I had a really good thing going, <clears throat> but because of the, the situation, I had to step away from it. I had to <clears throat> allow my other guys that were still training and still fighting to have a place to train and also to be able to keep them fighting in these different organizations um, that, that the relationships that I had developed with them um, and keep them going and keep the lion's den going. And so therefore I had to uh, sacrifice my time of fighting. And yeah, of course, you know, I would have loved to stay and fight and I would have loved to been able to continue fighting and not take the time off. Uh, but that just wasn't there because there's no way financially that I was able to keep up this empire that I had built. So I needed to go and figure out a different thing and, <clears throat> and then come back. <clears throat> sorry. Okay. And then come back when I, when I had things started to move back in the right direction. Uh, we know the reasons now why you ended up making the move, but what was the, what was the sort of mood amongst your peers about you moving from <laughs> ultimate fighting to the WWF? Yeah, nobody knew the reasons why, mm. you know, they just knew that I was now going from this, 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 you know, beast of a fighting organization into pro wrestling. And, you know, you got some people that were just diehard MMA people or just, and even my fighters, it kind of split my gym down the middle um, because they basically looked at it and said that I was walking away from so I'm fighting, going into something that was fake, and I was doing it for the money. And I looked at him. I didn't say anything to them, but I'm thinking in my head, yeah, of course I'm doing it for the money. I mean, don't we all do it for the money? Uh, but that's not the main reason why I walked away. I did it because I couldn't keep putting the gyms and the, the, the food and the housing. I had three, four houses, <clears throat> fighter's house, my house. I had uh, uh, my in-laws uh, house and my dad's home, which was a group home for kids. So these four homes I was taking care of. And <clears throat> not only just the food too, like I had to you know, take care of the food and all that. And so being able to have the money to be able to take care of all these things, I needed a certain amount of money. So I wasn't able to do that. So I had to step away and do something else. And so it, they didn't know this. Like they didn't have the mindset to understand that I was leaving 
because I couldn't continue to keep you guys, the ones that were half of them that were getting mad at me, didn't understand if I didn't go, they would be gone. I couldn't keep paying for the fighter's house or the food and getting them fights. I couldn't do it anymore. But that wasn't, there was, that wasn't, I didn't need people to know my financial situation. It wasn't none of their uh, responsibility. What I would have hoped is that they would have understood that I, whatever I was doing was because it was for the best for the lion's den. It was the best for my family. I wouldn't make any decisions that wasn't going to be good for everyone. And unfortunately, some of them didn't see it that way. They couldn't understand it. Um, and, I, and it was none of their business. I wasn't going to tell them either because that was my own personal issues. So when I signed with WWF, yeah, of course, the, the, even the fans and some of the media, they ate me up. I mean, they, they, they threw me under the bus. Uh, they wanted to stomp on me. And, uh, but none of them had the understanding of why I was doing it. Uh, it was because I wanted to keep furthering my legacy within MMA, uh, being able to keep my fighters in the lion's den going and, and being able to, to support my family. Uh, and then for me to be able to come back when the time is right, when, when it starts making money again, I can come back to it. Um, but um, that was, like I said, that was something that I had to deal with. It was hard because I, I, I got a lot of bad, bad things said to me uh, within the fighting world and also in the fan base. Uh, but that's kind of what goes with the territory. I sucked it up and I went and did what I thought was right. Um, and luckily for me, uh, I became a huge star because now we see that it's a normal thing now that it's a, almost a, a given that when you're done with MMA, you go to pro wrestling. Um, so, but I had to break those barriers. I, I had to get beat up and, and kicked around and break down that barrier in order for it to be okay. Like it is now. Since, um, since this has all come out, have you had people who maybe spoke about you behind your back or even to your face, uh, apologize for, for judging you? Have you had any conversations like that? No, no. Um, no, uh, I know I got hammered by the media, but none of them ever said anything. Um, they just moved on. I still talk to some of them even today. Um, and they don't think I know, but I do, you know, I mean, I read it. So, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, the one thing I always say in today's world, it seems like, uh, somebody calls you stupid and, uh, and they, they, they can sue you. <laughs> it's like, or that you you got a right to, to, to hurt them for whatever reason. I, I just think that, you know, I don't worry about stuff like that. It, to me, it's like, like I said earlier, it's, I worry about the things that I can do now, not the things that happened in the past and I move on. And, uh, and that's just the way I do it. And so whatever happened then it happened. Um, and, uh, but again, I know people and, and, uh, People get emotional, just like we're seeing with Conor McGregor and and uh, and in and, and that fight with uh, things people are saying. But a year or two years down the road, we'll all forget about it. It'll all be over because it's just things people do things emotionally. They act emotionally. Conor McGregor broke his fibia, whatever it was, and they put a microphone in his face right after on the ground, broken. And, and uh, uh, Poirier's wife's flipping him off and, and, and Poirier's uh, saying things to him. Uh, 
you know, going back and forth. And so some people don't have a filter. If you do that, you're going to get raw, raw footage. It's going to be blunt and real. And uh, so, you know, it is what it is. And I think that's where we're at in the world today where <clears throat> I don't worry about stuff like that. I don't get emotional or overattached to something. And I think I look at things and as is it being real and I look at it as how can I fix it or how can I move forward or how can I make money with it or how can I develop it? Uh, I don't worry about any of that other stuff. Well, this was this was whole with the whole thing with you coming into WWF, and it's talking about how how you make money with it. Well, here's a guy from from the Ultimate Fighting World, former Super Fight Champion, the world's most dangerous man. And you kind of have on the one side those UFC fans who are saying, "Oh, you're going to wrestling, you're going to the fake stuff," and then you get into the wrestling, and they're going, "Ah, we've got a real fighter. Let's see what he's made of." So, like on both sides, you you you're getting flack. I mean, what was the reception like within the locker room when a real fighter arrived? I know you've talked in the past about um, a, a square up in in the night in in, in, a, in a harmless way uh, from from Bradshaw uh, in the locker room who who wanted to try Shamrock. But you, did you get a lot of stuff like that? I'm actually not. I, I think it was pretty, I was pretty well receptive. It, it was really weird because like when you walk into a locker room, everybody is kind of, they're, 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 they're checking you out. There's a distrust, but they're friendly, right? They're still friendly. And, but you can tell there's a little bit of uncertainty, like how am I going to be? <clears throat> and so I know Brett told me, he goes, Hey, make sure you get in there in the locker room and shake people's hands, uh, be very accessible, uh, because of who you are. Uh, you, you've got to be very accessible. They got to be able to know you and know that you're not here as a fighter. You're here as a student. You're here to learn. Uh, these guys are the pros. You're coming into a new sport. Uh, and you have to learn all this stuff again. And, uh, so I mean, it was a lot of things I learned from Brad that helped break down that that uncertainty. And so it helped out a lot to know uh, how to deal with them. And and I did. And even like when when, when I've, I, you know, submitted uh, Big Show and submitted Bradshaw and and Blackman and all those guys that that uh, had tested me uh, in the ring, uh, and in a good way, not, not defensively like that. It was, it was a friendly thing. Um, but they all wanted to kind of know what I could do. And, uh, and so I was able to do that and, and not hurt them. Right. Just to let them know what it really feels like. And there was a, a big appreciation, um, that started to, uh, circulate around the locker room of people knowing what I was capable of doing, and, and actually not doing it. And so it wasn't long before I had a lot of trust uh, with everybody there. These guys are not wimps. These wrestlers, and it's funny because when people look at wrestling and especially the ones that that uh, are hardcore you know, fighters or, or combat sports enthusiasts, they look at wrestling as these guys that are like these toy soldiers, like they're just not real. And uh, boy, I tell you what, man, um, you got a big mistake there because there's a lot of these dudes that are just tough, tough individuals. And uh, they don't just come around and do pro wrestling because they can't do anything else. 
they do pro wrestling because they've done everything they can do in the athletic world, whether it be karate, whether it be football, whether it be basketball, whether it be wrestling, um, or whether it just be a street fight, street tough kid. Um, there's a lot of people in wrestling um, that if you were to put them in MMA and give them some training, they would do well. Is there anybody that you can see in the current crop of wrestlers that you think would do well in that climate? Uh, you know, that's, you, you can't say that uh, because it's just like with pro wrestling when you, you talk about pro wrestling and you say, well, this guy, man, he will be good at it. Just because you have a character and mm. that you can really, uh, you know, sell fights is complete. Look at me. I mean, I could sell a fight, uh, but, you know, put me on a microphone where I'm trying to be a character. It's not the same thing, right? It's just not the same thing. Uh, but so, yeah, you, 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 you got to see them in there first to know whether or not they're capable of doing it because it's just so many variables to being good at pro wrestling. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. This is the World Wrestling Federation. If you want a title shot against Stone Cold Steve Austin, bring your little blue trucks out here and I'll beat your if you want your title shot. I mean, you, you look at the lineup of guys that wrestled. It was the biggest event for me getting in the ring with those guys. I mean, it was it was uh, it was amazing to be standing across the ring from from uh, stars like that. So it's it's hard to separate the excitement of being able to work with those individuals, be able to put matches on with those individuals. Bret Hart was a tremendous. 
uh, uh, worker. I learned a lot from him. Um, probably one of the most significant um, um, trainers uh, that influenced me. Uh, I thought that I could emulate quite a bit of what he was doing uh, because of my style and, and how I wrestled. Um, I felt like I could, I could uh, really bring in that submission uh, style of fighting or along with the, the attitude and the toughness. Um, so, yeah, but that, like I said, there's, a, you know, there's a big boss man, there's a, a Bret Hart, the rock, um, you know, but um, it was, like I said, um, it was exciting to get in and, and stand across the ring. And a lot of those, those huge stars. I, I like Bret Hart. I like the um, Van, big Van Vader. I thought that match really helped me uh, solidify the, the, the toughness and the attitude. Uh, and then I would say the rock because we were able to put together uh, some pretty good programs. So yeah, I would say boss man, uh, Bret Hart uh, and, and the rock for sure. Yeah. Those are your favorite opponents. Those are your, those are your favorite. And also like to work with as well. I mean, like to, to, to break down your time with Bret Hart, we might jump around the timeline a little bit here. Like one of the most iconic moments uh, from, from WrestleMania uh, is, is that Austin, um, a heart match and there's moments in that that people remember like the, uh, the the double turn between the two the blood pouring down austin's face but in amongst all of that literally in the center of history there you are Taking Bret Hart down to the ground, like in one of your first appearances, that must have felt like a special night. Yeah, you know, in the moment, you don't really think about it, right? Uh, you, you just, you're so tied up into what you're doing. And uh, me, for me, uh, I lost myself in that match because it was, it felt so real uh, that it didn't feel like a pro wrestling match to me. It just felt like I was involved in this, 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 two guys that were beating the hell out of one another. And, and, uh, and I was there to make sure they didn't kill each other. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was definitely exciting. Um, but like I said, when you, when those moments happen, it's not like you sit there and go, oh, this is a great moment. Um, you feel it. Like you feel like it's a great moment. You feel like this was a great match. You feel like you were a part of something special, but you just don't know how special until time tells you. Yeah, it's only when you look back on it. And you mentioned the match with Vader there as well. That was sort of your, your introduction to, to the WWF. And, you know, historically, you've been one of those guys. And through your time working in, uh, in, in UFC, you, you know, you, you don't pull your punches. You really go in there and you make people work. And you're in there with Vader, who's got a, a similar pattern to him. How, um, what was the process of putting that match together with Vader? Do you remember some of the conversations you guys had? Yeah, we uh, said, hey, <clears throat> um, <laughs> don't hit me in the chin. <laughs> uh, it wasn't much to it. Um, he said, hey, let's just go out there and, uh, you know, let's fight. Let's let's put on a, a, a match that you're comfortable with. Um, he said, uh, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, let's go in there and. You know, it, it make sure. And one thing that we I felt comfortable was that because he had fought already, he had been involved with with being able to fight in my style. And he just basically said, man, let's go in and let's spar. Um, let's go in and 
and uh, make sure you your, your your punches connect. Make sure that you people don't when you walk out of that that ring that people don't say what you did wasn't real. And um, so I know that going in with Vader, I was very comfortable of being able to throw my punches, throw my kicks, my suplexes, my submission holds, and that he would he would he would roll with it. And uh, and he did. And I remember even in a couple of those things where he literally hit me where I caught him with the knee. Uh, and broke his nose because he was going down and I was throwing up, but that was my fault because I didn't tell him uh, that I was, that I was coming with the knee. And uh, so he kind of dipped down into it. And then soon after that, he throws a punch and he hits me and I go right down to the ground and everybody thought Vader knocked me out. And because um, going back to the locker room, they're going, Hey, you okay? You okay? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I had no idea how stiff we were working. It just didn't feel that way to me. It just felt normal, right? Like this is just normal training session. And, uh, but it on, on film, it looked vicious. And so I was very happy when, when people were coming to me and Bret Hart came to me and said, dude, that was really good. You guys, that was a great match. All I did was fight. Like all we did was go in and spar with each other. Right. And, uh, and neither one of us were trying to hurt each other, but we were definitely wanting to make sure that it was, it looked as real as it could. And, uh, and I know that we were not pulling back on our punches. We weren't pulling back on our throws and submissions that we were being very aggressive with one another because we both, we knew we both could take it. And, uh, and so that really was, that was exciting for me to go in and especially being my first one, I didn't have to work with somebody you know, like a Shawn Michaels or Hunter Hearst, where where I probably never would have wrestled again if I would have had a match like that with them on my first show. Nobody would have worked with me. Nobody would have came near me. But Vader um, really worked with me, and 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 there was no bad talk or thoughts after that match. He told people I was great. It was perfect. Um, but Brett did say, you know, now that you have a little bit of a foundation of what it's supposed to be like. He said, think about easing up about 10 times that. Ease it down. <laughs> so it's, it's a good it's a good gauge to be honest. It's sort of like the Vader gauge. Like you can go all the way with Vader. And yeah. then you just, you know, sometimes easier to, to pull back than give more. So start yeah. with Vader, work backwards from there. That was perfect. And, and that's exactly what it was. It was just being able to give me my my ground where I needed to be um, without putting all that pressure on me to have to go out and perform in a match that I wasn't used to performing. And I, so I, I owe, I owe Vader a lot uh, because um, we, he really did help me get over um, that first match. And he had, he never complained one time.
about some of your favorite opponents from the WWF and, and your, your time came to an end there. And um, you worked with the National Wrestling Alliance and then you disappeared. And, and in 2019, you came back. And honestly, Ken, when pictures appeared of you back, it looked like you left wrestling and just carried on fighting like anybody for years, just kept on fighting because you came back like ready to go again, like in the best condition you've ever been in. What was it that made you... Uh, disappear and what was it that made you come back yeah when I actually you know separated for a while it was like five years or something like that I remember walking away from training and everything because I was so so tired and my body was was so beat up I remember I was even having some atrophy in my arms I was getting shrinkage uh, in my one of my arms because of some neck stuff that I had going on for breaking my neck it broke it twice and I started to have some spurs grow into it and I was getting atrophied and, and knees and shoulders. It just really felt bad. My whole body ached and I just stopped doing everything. It was like a year, a little over a year. I just stopped. And one day I got up and looked in the mirror and I did not like what I saw. I mean, I was just a walking coffin. And it was like, this is not me. I'm not living life. And I told myself, I need to figure out how to get out of this. Like, I can't do this anymore. And I started back in training and I just, I felt so sore. And I remember mentioning it and somebody had come to me and I autograph signing that I was doing and told me about this thing called bio accelerator. And I was like, what? And he said, no, nah, it's like the fountain of youth. And the minute I heard that, I go, shut up. It's like, I don't believe in that magic, man. It's all hard work, man. It's all hard work and, and discipline. And he goes, I'm telling you, man. And then he showed me a video of Matt Hughes. I mean, this dude went in in a wheelchair and he came out. And a few weeks later, I mean, the dude is walking, he's lifting. I'm like, that, uh, that's Matt Hughes. I mean, this dude is, is no BS. And he's telling people it's the fountain of youth. I was like, okay, I'm in. I mean, I know this dude and he's nothing fake about it. And I was like, okay, now I'll give it a shot. I don't know if it's going to work the same for me, but let's find out. So I went down and did it. <clears throat> Six weeks later, man, I'm like, I'm already feeling good. And this thing is like five to six years. You're going to be getting more and more and it keeps growing. And I was like six weeks out. I'm like all the inflammation, the soreness I had was gone. I still had joints and, and injury spots, but within, I would say a year, year and a half gone. I was like a new man. And I started to I go, I'm going to start wrestling again. And then that's when I made that post. I'm coming back to wrestling, you know, and uh, and I wasn't coming back just because like I wanted to come back and make money. I came back because I wanted to compete and I felt so good. And so I went and had a match in, in Australia at Battle Championship Wrestling. And I, I, I did a dive over the time. I didn't even I just did it. And uh, Huracarana, suicide uh, dive and a, and a showstopper, just all these things. And I was like, I haven't done any of this stuff in seven, eight, nine years. And I just felt good. And then, of course, I wrestled a lot longer, became a tag team champion up there. My body was feeling great. Then I got back into Impact and did something Impact and did my first match. And uh, I remembered um, doing a, a suicide dive over the top rope, a showstopper. Um, I mean, even a Huracarana. I mean, I did all these things there, too, on TV. And I'm like 50, 
five years old, man. I was like, I feel great compared to what I was. I felt like I was a dead man laying on the couch. And, uh, and I just felt so good, man. It just felt so different. And, uh, and it really was, it was uh, a lot of it. And it was a lot of the stuff too, but a lot of it had to do with the bioaccelerator, being able to take the information and sort us out of my body. It was rejuvenating and healing. And I, I, I tell you what, man, if I ever could say something uh, that was the fountain of youth, this is as close to it as you're going to get. It was phenomenal bioaccelerator. And I went to Medellin, uh, Colombia, uh, to do it. And uh, because here in the States, they don't give you as much because they have these guidelines and stuff that they can't go over because of the restrictions. But over there, they give you as much as you need for it to help you. And I thought that was the biggest difference is what there was no restrictions and that I could get what I needed because I'm an athlete. I got a lot more going on than most people. So it was able to really give me enough to be able to really help me recover. And, uh, and I haven't stopped since, man. I, I feel great. Uh, feel strong. Uh, back to training. I don't have to worry about going in and feeling, you know, like I'm a walking coffin because I don't feel like training. I don't feel good. Now I have a life and it's been six years now over six years and I still, I'm still going. It's, it's as, as much as it's a physical game, the bio accelerator seems to have done the wonders for you because you've been rolling back the years, but there's a mental game there as well, isn't there? And I imagine that as well as getting your body right, you probably had to do a bit to click mentally back into that place as well. Well, mentally, I don't care what, what, what you take. I don't care what you think diet, uh, this, that you, you, you have to, you have to train. And you have to mentally be strong enough, especially when you get to my age, that you're committed to what you're going to be doing, which is training, working out, running, stretching, staying fit, eating healthy. These are all commitments. And mentally, you have to be strong enough to be able to make sure that you hold to your commitments. Because if, I don't care what you take or what you do. If you don't put anything in mentally, mentally and physically work at it, it ain't going to do anything for you. You need to be, yeah, it needs to be the training. The training is what does it. Um, the world's been the world's been on fire in the last year, uh, but you've sort of consistently been a part of Impact Wrestling. Uh, not seen anything of you since January. So where are you at right now in terms of, of, of the wrestling? Where are you at? Yeah, I think it was a mutual agreement. Um, you know, I don't even... I, I, it was difficult for me to wrestle with no fans. I, I've always felt the impact, no pun intended, from the fans. Uh, being able to know when to do something, know when to get excited, screaming and becoming crazy and doing all those things all elevate from the fans. And not having the fans there uh, was a real strain on me. It just didn't feel right. I know a lot of people, it doesn't matter. They just continue. But to me, it's just, I thought that was a big missing piece, even though I, I did fine. I mean, I was working, it was great matches and good, good thing. But I think that the, the extra piece for me to really be able to have gone over the top and be that Ken Shamrock of old was the fans were missing. And it just felt like I couldn't have that extra, that oomph uh, that I needed being able to feed off of those fans. But, but I felt like, you know, they they also felt like it maybe I should step back and take some time, even though everything was going fine. It was nothing wrong. 
I was more focused on trying to get my promotion going, which is the Valor Bare Knuckle organization. We're looking to really see how we can really make that something special. I think Bare Knuckle is the future. I think that the excitement and the safety of that, safety so much to safety, but as far as gloves and no gloves, I, I don't think there's a difference. I really don't. Uh, I think if anything, it leads more towards being a lot safer in the long run, not having gloves on. Uh, but that's a whole nother discussion. But I'm really focused on putting this promotion together. Um, it's something that I have always loved, which is the purity of fighting, which was bare knuckle. Um, you don't get anything to help you. Uh, the way that we set up our pit, um, the bout circle, is that uh, we believe people should come in and fight. Just like back in the old John L. Sullivan days, they didn't need ropes. They, you got to know bale of hay or around a circle with a bunch of people. Two people go in to fight. They're there to fight. Um, and you can't use ropes or fences to hold you up or to bounce off of. I mean, to me, that's you're using something to help you. And so we're taking those out. We don't want anything that's going to help somebody have an advantage. We want it to be pure fighting ability. And uh, so we're, we're pushing that. Um, and I'm excited. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to bring back what people think as being old, but it's going to be new. When you talk about, so, cause, cause I wanted to get onto Valor, uh, because like you are looking at like almost like an actual pit for, for the fight, like it's like metaphorically and almost literally, cause it's going to look very different. Cause I think, I think a few people may have compared it at least I've spoken to to something similar that Josh Barnett does with blood sport, but I think this is going to be very, very different, isn't it? Well, yeah, because you, I mean, you're going to look at this and it's bare knuckle mm. and it's close fist and uh, it's straight stand up. Um, so there's, there's nowhere to go. You can't lay on a ropes. You can't hide anywhere. It's, it's a, it's a, it's called the bout circle and it's a fighting surface that uh, yeah, you're going to have to fight. There's no clinching. I mean, you can't clinch. Um, because you're not wearing gloves. So there's no reason for you to clinch. Uh, so if you get in close, if you grab, you're going to get penalized. So your fists have to stay closed and every place in there, you have to fight. There is nowhere to go that you cannot fight. If you don't, you're going to end up losing. And so for me, that's what's exciting about this is that when people come to an event, they want to watch a fight, not something that turns into a, a, a clinch match or a guy laying on the ropes. Um, so we're cutting that out. Um, and, and, and these guys that we bring in to fight are going to fight. You're going to see a fight. With, um, with Valor, is there anybody on the roster that you know of that we need to be looking out for who you think may steal the show? Yeah, we don't have anything going on yet. Right now we have, we do have the card. We do. But right now, it's a little premature to announce anything with that. So we're going to wait until we do our big announcement. Okay, well, we won't push any further on that. But where can people <laughs> go if they want to find out more about Valor? They want to stay up to date with everything you guys are doing. Yeah, ValorBK.com. Obviously, you say, you know, you've mutually decided to step away from Impact. The fans thing, I totally get. It's, it's a strange environment to be in. But um, if the fans come back, Ken, will, will you come back? Are you going to come back and do another one? Go yeah, on. you know, I'm, I'm always an entertainer. You know, I yeah. love the fans. I've always loved it. I've always loved being in the ring and competing and 
especially in front of the fans. It's, it's not the same, or at least for me, it's not the same unless they're in the audience. Absolutely. Okay. So Ken, this has been a, a wonderful chat. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us at Cultaholic. Uh, best links, where can people find you online? Uh, let's, let's send them your way. Where can, where can they go? Yeah, you can find me at kenshamrock.com. I have all my social media platforms on there. So uh, come check us out. And also don't forget valorbk.com if you want to stay tuned on our up and coming fights. We have a couple of them lined out, which we'll be announcing soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Podcasts from.